Hello, Tudor-minded people. It's Philadelphia Carrie for Tudor Time Machine. The word I share with you this week is ombages. Marjorie, my lady's maid, is a pleasant creature, but oft-times when I call her, she is long in attending on me. When I upbraid her for her sloth, such torturous excuses flow from her tongue. I cry, my girl, enough! You put me quite out of temper with these ombages. Ombages? How now, Tudor Files, what think you? If you're new here, I'm Gage. I'm Jessica. And we are here with Philadelphia Carey for Tudor Word of the Week. Don't miss a word. And listen to the Tudor Time Machine Story Project. Jessica reads a chapter of Time's Riddle, and then my dear friends discuss the history behind the tale. How diverting! So subscribe on YouTube and give me a like. Ambages means an indirect, circuitous way of talking. I guess now we might say dithering or dilly-dallying. The word implies an intention to be ambiguous. How do you spell it, Philadelphia? It is spelled A-M-B-A-G-E-S. And I know well that it is a use of the Latin word ambage, which means a circuit. Thus, the association of speaking in a circuitous, overly complicated way. Have you studied Latin, Philadelphia? In our time period, I think there's a misconception that women were not educated in the Tudor period. My friend, I have studied Latin, Italian, and even some Greek. Her Majesty insists all her ladies be well-educated and speak wisely. If I am honoured with a question from the Queen, I strive to avoid all ambages when I reply, Her Majesty is noble but she is quick to anger. So I have read, she's not afraid to be a woman with a temper. The use of our Tudor word comes from the Spanish tragedy by Thomas Kidd, and we've talked about this play in other episodes. And although it's rarely performed now, it was one of the most influential plays of the period. It features many elements that became sort of staples in Elizabethan and Jacobean tragedies, including the play within the play, the soliloquy, and the plot point where someone goes mad, and where someone pretends to be mad. So basically, everything in Hamlet. The Spanish tragedy, along with Christopher Marlowe's Tamburlaine, are considered by historians to be the first popular successes of the London theater. Successes of the public theater, you should say, my dear friend. There were many plays done for courtiers at the royal court and also at our delightful country mansions. But the Spanish tragedy and Tamburlaine were also extremely popular with common people. Well, maybe these works were influential because they were really popular with a wide audience. They showed that there was money to be made by putting on theater, not only acrobatic shows and bear baiting shows, but real theater with drama and love and pathos. Perhaps, and that is a shame. Why do you say that? True gentlemen do not write for money. The poets Sir Thomas Wyatt, Sir Henry Howard, Sir Philip Sidney, and others of the court did not seek to sell their work. They were pure. Philadelphia. I think maybe they were just born rich and did not have to make money from their work. But I take your point. In fact, I think we still have an idea that art that does not make money is more pure somehow. Yeah, there's a snobbishness that if something is very popular, it's not great art. 
It's important to remember that in their own time, Shakespeare, Marlowe, all of these guys, they were incredibly popular with all kinds of audiences. They were not at all considered highbrow in the way that they are now. The Spanish tragedy was probably written between 1582 and 1592, so kind of early in this cycle of plays that we've been talking about. And Thomas Kidd was born in 1558. He was the son of a scrivener. A tutor word for a clerk or notary. Yes, and like William Shakespeare, Kidd went to a Latin grammar school, but he did not go to university. In fact, historians think he probably took up his father's trade in order to make a living. Such a big point is always made of the fact that Shakespeare did not go to university, and somehow that means he would not have been educated enough to write the plays at the level that he wrote. But actually, many writers of this period did not go to university. Ben Jonson, Thomas Decker, John Webster, they were also non-university wits. And as with Shakespeare, Kidd set his play in a completely foreign land, one he almost certainly never visited himself, not on a Scrivener's salary. Give us a summary of the Spanish tragedy, Philadelphia. After a war with Portugal, a young and handsome soldier, Horatio, arrives home to Spain to meet his true love, Isabella. But he is murdered in a plot by Isabella's brother, Lorenzo, and the Portuguese prince, Balthazar, who wants Isabella for himself. Horatio's father, Hieronimo, vows to take revenge, and bloody work ensues. It's a very bloody play. And there is some historical speculation that Ben Jonson, in his brief turn as an actor, played the lead, Don Hieronimo. I do not know if that be so, but I assure you I myself saw the great master Richard Burbage play the part. He seemed to weep true tears in the scene where he finds his dead son and falls into misery. Our word of the week is not used in the play by the good Don Hieronimo but by the villain, Lorenzo. Lorenzo, encouraging the suit between his unwilling sister, Isabella, and the prince, Balthazar, tells the prince, Tush, tush, my lord, let go these ombages, and in plain terms acquaint her with your love. That sounds like good advice. Stop dithering and tell her how you feel. That is common in all rom-coms. Well, howsoever the prince tries, Isabella is truly in love with Horatio and does not acquiesce to the prince's entreaties. Thus, the prince and Lorenzo plot the death of her unfortunate lover. Oh no, much death and revenge ensues. The Spanish tragedy was so influential that it's referenced in many other plays. Ben Johnson mentions Hieronimo in the induction to his Cynthia's Revels, and also he has a character disguise himself in Hieronimo's old cloak, ruff, and hat in The Alchemist. In Satyromastics in 1601, Thomas Decker suggests that Johnson, in his early days as an actor, played Hieronimo. And also it's referenced in Thomas May's The Heir, which was much later, 1620, and as late as Thomas Rawlins' The Rebellion, which was in 1638. In the 20th century, T.S. Eliot quoted the title and the play in the last lines of his incredibly Incredibly super influential poem, The Wasteland. Yes, Eliot writes, These fragments have I shored against my ruins. Why then lie fit you? Hieronimo's mad again. Data, diata, damyata. Shantith, shantith, shantith. Hmm. Those lines have no sense. I say to your master, Eliot, Sir, 
Speak plainly. Away with these ombages. So give heed to the files. Bring some 16th century sauce to your vocabulary with ombages. Listen in next time. Don't miss a word. Subscribe on YouTube and give me a like. Thank <laughs> you.